hello and welcome to the last push podcast hope you guys are having a fantastic day so far you guys are able to maybe get out go for a walk go for a run with your families get out for bike rides um and take advantage of the nice weather and i really hope all you guys are staying safe out there as well so on today's episodes, um, we've really been taking the last kind of two weeks to go through with some longer podcasts and go through specific sections of the exams and what they're going to look like. And on today's episode, I really want to focus on the very last section of biology paper one. Um, so, so far we've looked at three sections with biology paper one and we've looked at kind of the cells the introduction a little bit about the cell cycle what are stem cells how they're used um, and that kind of set you up very very nicely to lead into some of the more uh, complex sections with really start looking at tissues and organ systems things like that where we explored the digestive system the cardiovascular system where we looked at the heart and then um, different components of blood, your different blood vessels and what can go wrong if you are not treating your body as well as you should in terms of what can happen sometimes with your heart if fatty deposits build up with cardiovascular disease and how that affects you and then what are some what are some ways of treating that with statins and stents and organ transplants and things like that? We also took a look at um, the plant organs and really honed in and focused on the leaf layer tissues, which is another major aspect in your biology paper one. And our third um, biology paper one podcast was all about diseases and kind of giving you guys an introduction to some of those really important ones. We looked at things like tobacco mosaic virus on plants. We looked at measles. Um, a huge range of different viruses, bacteria, fungi, and protists. And then we finished off with looking at vaccines and drug development. So those are really the main components of your biology paper one. And we only haven't covered one of the one of the last sections, and I call it section four because if you're actually looking at your specification, it's laid out in the table of contents, um, and this would be the fourth section, and it is on your biology paper one, and it's called bioenergetics, which I don't think really, for a lot of students and a lot of um, kids, it doesn't really explain what it actually means. Um, so I want you to start thinking about this fourth section. It's really the interrelationship between um, between energy and between plants and between animals. And then we look more specifically at photosynthesis and photosynthetic reactions and then also how that interrelates with your mitochondria in terms of respiration. Because a lot of times when we talk about bioenergetics, we're talking about the energy, the sun's energy, and how that energy is absorbed into the chlorophyll of those green plants, and then how that energy is actually used in photosynthesis. 
because the sun energy is being synthesized with other components like carbon dioxide and water to be able to actually produce glucose and oxygen. That oxygen can get released into the atmosphere where animals can then breathe in the oxygen. We also eat plants because they're filled with nutrients that we need in order to survive. So it's really kind of how the relationship between plants and animals has existed um, since the beginning of time, really, and the transfer of carbon dioxide and oxygen between us and the transfer of energy and how it all comes together and pulls together really, really nicely. So that's um, bioenergetics, and that's that fourth part of your biology paper one. So that's what we're going to take a look at today. So without further ado, I suggest you guys grab some paper, grab a pen or a pencil so that we can get started. Okay, and hopefully that gave you guys enough time to grab all the equipment that you needed or you just had a little dance along like I was doing, um, just getting yourself psyched up for some photosynthesis, which is what we're going to start with first of all. Um, so a photosynthetic reaction, um, usually we're talking about plants. It could also be algae or water plants as well though. So any anything that is able to absorb sunlight energy and use it and process it. So you really need to be familiar with the word equation as well as the chemical equation. But let's go through the word equation first. And a lot of times what I ask people to do is I ask them to really just think about a plant. What does a plant need? Okay, what gas does a plant need? What thing from the soil is taken up by the roots? Okay, think about it. And a lot of the time, this is a no-brainer. You guys get this right off the bat um, anyways. And even a lot of younger students know this. So this isn't something that I would normally worry about you remembering. But it's just nice to kind of go through it and make sure it's embedded in your long-term memory. So the gas is carbon dioxide and water as well that's those are the reactants of the equation of the reaction and a reactant is going to be everything that's on the left hand side of an arrow if we're drawing this out as a reaction um, or a word equation they will react together to form products and the products are what are actually made after the reaction has taken place and the products with this is going to be glucose and oxygen and oxygen is usually released a lot of times back out into the atmosphere uh, for animals um, well it's, if it's for us we use it as well we breathe it in um, and sometimes the oxygen is used for the plant for its own chemical reactions like respiration. Now that glucose that's made, the plant will usually use this glucose and it will convert it into starch. It will change it into starch. Um, and then that starch is able to move to different areas of the tree or the plant and it can be stored. 
So if you think about it, we have already talked about this, but if plants are going to store starch, um, the easiest way for me to really think about it is thinking about your root vegetables. So your carrots, your potatoes, your parsnips, your turnips, your beets, any root vegetable under the soil, because that really helps me visualize the movement. Okay, so think about where photosynthesis happens. Photosynthesis happens in the leaves. So the carbon dioxide, the water, they react together with the sunlight energy. They produce glucose and oxygen. That glucose is in the leaves and it will get converted into starch. And then that starch can actually move into the phloem vessels and it can flow down to the roots and then be used and stored in the form of vegetables. So I always usually think of a carrot plant or a potato plant when I'm actually trying to visualize this and I visualize the photosynthesis happening in the leaves, the glucose being made, that glucose moving into vessels. Those vessels are called phloem. They flow both ways. They flow down towards the roots and those are where your potatoes are growing. That's where the starch is being stored. And we then will eat the potatoes or we'll eat the carrots. And that's a transfer of energy. That energy started out in the sun as sunlight energy. It gets transferred into the leaves. And with carbon dioxide and water, they react together to make glucose and oxygen. That glucose then gets converted into starch. And we eat the plants and that's how we get the starch. So it's really all the interrelationship between photosynthesis and respiration. And it makes a lot more sense if you try to think about, okay, how did my McDonald's French fry get here? Okay, and then you can start actually thinking about a plant and thinking about, okay, how did the starch get made? Well, the starch gets made in the leaves because of photosynthesis. What's the word equation for photosynthesis? It is carbon dioxide plus water equals glucose plus oxygen. Now I've waffled on for far too long about that word equation, but hopefully that gives you a little bit more of a visualization um, so you can kind of have an actual example to think about as well. Now you have to know the chemical equation too. I would expect you to know three of them without a problem. Carbon dioxide, CO2. I'd expect you to know that. Water, H2O. I'd also expect you to know that one. Oxygen, O2. I'd also expect you to know that one. You might not put a 2 at the end of it, but it is O2. Now, the one that throws people off usually is glucose. And if you don't know this, write it down. Make a flashcard out of it. Try to memorize it. It is glucose is C. 6H12O6. So there are six carbon atoms, there are 12 hydrogen atoms, and there are six oxygen atoms in a glucose molecule. Okay, so it's quite a large compound actually um, when you think about it because it actually has got 24 atoms involved in it. So it is quite big.
Now, in terms of just some other little helpful hints, um, the chloroplast is where photosynthesis takes place, which is something you learned about in the very first podcast when we were looking at organelles. And chloroplasts are actually filled with green pigments. Um, Sometimes they're different colors, but a lot of times we think about plants as green. Um, And they're called chlorophyll. And the chlorophyll is what absorbs the sunlight energy. Now, the other thing before we talk about the rate of photosynthesis, you might be asked to balance the chemical um, equation. So in order to balance a chemical equation, you need to make sure that you have got the same amount of carbons on the reactant side as the same amount of carbons on the product side. You need to make sure that you have the same amount of oxygens on the reactant side as the same amount of oxygens on the product side. And same with hydrogen as well, because I haven't mentioned hydrogen. So same as hydrogen on the reactant side, the left-hand side, same amount of hydrogen on the product side, on the right-hand side. So the balanced equation is going to be, and you can check this after, um, you check it by counting up how many there are. So I'll try to explain that as well so you can kind of get a little bit ahead on that. You might want to pause it and see if you can count them all up properly. So carbon dioxide is CO2. So there are six CO2s plus six H2O's and it will produce, it will make, that reaction will make one glucose molecule which is C6H12O6 and six oxygen molecules, so 6O2. So there's a lot of numbers now involved and what you need to first think about when you're seeing if a um, formula is balanced is all the numbers go out in front so it would be six co2 and that six it means that there's six carbons and it means that there are 12 oxygens because six multiplied by the two of the co2 part That's 6 times 2, which is 12. So the number will always come out in front, and it's multiplied by everything in that compound. So what I suggest you do is you try counting up the total number of carbons on the left-hand side, and it will match up the total number of carbons on the right-hand side on the products. The same is true for oxygen. The same is true for hydrogen. So try to do some mass. Try to multiply your sixes by every mol- every atom in that compound so that you're getting the correct number. And if you are finding that really, really difficult, you're not usually asked to explain it. I know this is a bit of a cheat, um, but you're not usually asked to explain it or show how you figured it out. Um, So sometimes if you are having a really hard time and you just want to try to remember it, is remember it's six out in front of everything except glucose. So 
6CO2, 6H2O, C6H12O6, and 6O2. That is your balanced chemical equation. Now, the rate of photosynthesis is something else that we need to talk about. And a rate means how quick, how fast that reaction takes place. Um, a lot of times we think about this in terms of chemistry, but rates of reaction can happen in the biological aspect all the time. So rates of reaction happen in your body, rates of reaction happen in plants as well. So a rate of photosynthesis can also be affected. And there are different things that will affect the rate of photosynthesis. Some of them include temperature. So if you increase the temperature of a chemical reaction, usually it means that you're giving those reactants more kinetic energy and you're enabling them to actually collide at faster rates, which means that if you increase the temperature of a reaction, they should um, react faster. And this is true for photosynthesis. It only becomes a problem if it gets too hot. Because if the temperature gets too hot, what will happen is the enzymes that are responsible for actually doing the chemical reactions, those enzymes, if they get too hot, they will get deformed. And the active site specifically changes its shape if it gets too hot. And what this keyword is when enzymes get too hot is it's the enzymes will denature. So a lot of times you need to try to remember this because this is really, really key. It's key if um, it's key in chemistry, it's key in digestion occasionally, um, and they might give you some application type questions. If the temperature gets too hot, a lot of times the rate of reaction will slow down or stop entirely because those enzymes have become denatured and their shape has become deformed, the active site has changed, therefore the reaction cannot happen. So plants are really, really happy in warm temperatures and plants are actually quite happy in hot temperatures. The rate of photosynthesis will increase, um, that plant will be able to photosynthesize more and quicker, but if it gets too hot, then the enzymes denature and photosynthesis will either slow down or stop entirely, which could actually kill the plants. So that's why sometimes you need to be really, really careful if you've got a plant um, and the temperatures are too hot because you can actually kill um, part of your plant or your entire plant if it stays out in temperatures too hot. The second thing that affects the rate of photosynthesis is light intensity. So how intense the light waves are, because we know that the photosynthesis reaction is actually powered by sunlight energy. It's driving that reaction forward. So if the light intensity increases, the rate of photosynthesis will also increase, which is brilliant, which is great. Um, Eventually, though, um, no matter how much additional sunlight and no matter how high the intensity gets, it will no longer affect the rate of photosynthesis. So if we're thinking about drawing a sketch graph for this, 
um, if you've got your X and your Y axes drawn, you're going to have rate of photosynthesis along the Y axis, and you're going to have the light intensity along the X axis down at the bottom. So as the light intensity increases, the rate of reaction will also increase. So you're going to see a pretty positive directly proportional correlation, meaning that all your points are going to be going up pretty equal. And then once you get to a certain point, um, say if your numbers, it's a sketch graph, so these numbers do not have to be accurate, but say they're going up in thousands, you've got 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 arbitrary units. After 3,000 arbitrary units, the rate of photosynthesis will no longer increase. So it just means that that line, when you're drawing your sketch graph, is going to flatten off. Um, you can look at, please, please, please Google um, these rate of photosynthesis graphs because then you'll actually see what I'm talking about instead of just trying to verbally describe it, which might be a bit confusing. And last but not least, the third thing that's going to affect the rate of photosynthesis is the carbon dioxide concentration. And it will look on a sketch graph the exact same as a light intensity. So a carbon dioxide um, is needed for photosynthesis to happen. And the more carbon dioxide a plant has, the faster the rate of photosynthesis. After a certain amount of time, though, it won't will not matter how much carbon dioxide you're pumping into your greenhouse because um, that's the only way you can really increase carbon dioxide levels is manually through a greenhouse um, the plant's rate of photosynthesis will no longer increase so you'll see a plateau as well with that so a lot of times you could have different greenhouse graphing questions where you're asked to kind of describe because those really show how if a farmer is trying to produce a lot of crops he knows that he needs to get a high rate of photosynthesis and to get the best plants to be able to make the best crops to be able to get them out to the grocery stores and things like that so what a greenhouse um, someone in charge of a greenhouse will do is they'll make sure that the temperatures are high, they'll make sure that the light intensities are high, and they'll make sure that the carbon dioxide is, are really high as well. So if you increase all of these certain things, then you're going to be have, have plants that are actually performing um, to a higher level. And that's why a lot of times if you yourself are trying to have a vegetable garden you might notice that your tomatoes or your carrots are not coming out quite like the ones in the grocery store and it's most likely because um, people who are mass producing agriculture and food for a grocery store they have got greenhouses they're able to increase all of these things and provide different levels of nutrients for their plants as well so don't get disheartened keep trying to grow those tomatoes but they just might not be giant killer tomatoes like the ones in the grocery store so you've probably done this hopefully you've done this i know I've, i do it um, a lot of times with my classes it's a required practical that looks at the rate of photosynthesis 
and it usually uses a type of pondweed called Elodia. And what you do is you have that Elodia in a beaker of water with an inverted cylinder. And what you're able to do is you can put a lamp really, really close to it and then bring that lamp further regular intervals back on a meter stick. So for example, you might um, do it every 10 centimeters. So you start at 10 centimeters, you count how many bubbles there are, you go back to 20 centimeters, 30 centimeters, 40 centimeters, 50 centimeters, 60 centimeters, and so on. What you should notice is that the further the lamp gets from the Elodia plant, the less oxygen bubbles that are produced because that shows a rate of photosynthesis. Now, this practical doesn't always work great and you can't always see very many bubbles. So one of the things that you can do to improve the practical is to use a gas syringe and also to increase the amount of time um, as well. So you use a gas syringe to try to get volume of gas and you also increase the time. You can also increase the distance intervals as well. That's sometimes used as an improvement on this practical. So if you have not done this practical, please check out Malesbury Science, their YouTube channel, because they have got a really, really good video that shows this practical and describes it really, really well, because it is your required practical five for your biology, and a lot of times it comes up on your biology paper one. Now, before we get to respiration, which we will in a minute, there's one last thing that you guys need to know. It's the uses of glucose uh, from photosynthesis. So remember our equation for photosynthesis. We've got carbon dioxide and water. They react together with the sunlight energy to form glucose and oxygen. Now, we've already talked about some of the things that that glucose is used for, but I just want you to know the specific ones because um, sometimes you're asked to list three different ones. So glucose is used for respiration. Glucose can get converted into starch for storage, which we've already talked about. Glucose can get produced, um, it can produce fat or oil for storage, so that glucose actually can get converted into fat and oil and can get stored that way, which is useful. And it can also get used to produce cellulose. And cellulose is something that strengthens the cell wall to provide strength and support for each and every cell in that plant. It can also be used to make amino acids for protein synthesis in the ribosomes. So those are some different uses that the glucose actually is used for. Now the second part, and really only there are only two parts of this section for your biology paper one, this fourth part, bioenergetics. And the second part is respiration and knowing a little bit more in detail 
what the two types of respiration are, kind of how it's used in the cells, and then also um, if we're talking about plants as well, how plants respire. So you need to know that cellular respiration is exothermic. It's an exothermic reaction, whereas photosynthesis is an endothermic reaction, which I didn't say earlier, and it's really, really important for you to know that they are different. Photosynthesis is endothermic because it has to take in energy from its surroundings. It's absorbing that sunlight energy into its chlorophyll in the chloroplast for the reaction to take place. Whereas respiration is an exothermic reaction which releases energy. And it releases this energy um, needed for a lot of living processes. It's, it's needed for us to be able to move. That's one really important thing. That energy is also needed for us to keep warm. So the exothermic reaction that is respiration that is happening inside of every one of your cells right now is actually releasing enough energy, thermal energy, to keep us warm. So it's important for thermal regulation. That's the second thing. And another thing that... The exothermic reaction, which releases energy, that is respiration, is uh, used for the energy. It's to actually do other chemical reactions to build larger molecules. So when we're trying to actually build proteins, build other larger molecules, we need that energy to do that. So there are two types of respiration in terms of the living animal cells that we need to think about. And the first one is aerobic respiration. And that is an exothermic reaction that uses oxygen. Whereas anaerobic is something that our bodies will do if we do not have enough oxygen present, if there's not enough oxygen present for our cells, our cells are still able to produce a small amount of energy to release a small amount of energy, but there's no oxygen present, so there's less energy released, and it's not, um, it's not the preferred way because our bodies cannot respire anaerobically for a long period of time. So in terms of these equations, you have to know the word equation and the chemical equation for both these types of respiration. So the aerobic respiration is glucose plus oxygen makes carbon dioxide plus water. And hopefully you guys already know that one and you're used to it being it's the opposite equation for photosynthesis. So if you can remember one, you really remember one. You just need to remember that respiration and photosynthesis are the complete opposites. So photosynthesis is an endothermic reaction. It takes in energy. Respiration is an exothermic reaction. It releases energy. And then their word equations are the exact opposite. So aerobic respiration is glucose plus oxygen, which will make carbon dioxide and water and during that whole reaction and that process that is aerobic cellular respiration energy is released 
that energy is used for movement, keeping warm, and building larger molecules. You have to also know the chemical symbols. So we've already gone through it, but let's just go through it again, jot it down, make a flashcard, let's try to remember it. So glucose is C6H12O6 plus oxygen, which is O2, and that's going to make carbon dioxide, which is CO2, plus water, which is H2O. And remember, when we're balancing it, it's going to be a six out in front of everything except for glucose. Now, anaerobic respiration. This is if we do not have enough oxygen. If our muscles are really, really tired, if we're out there doing a sprint, if we're doing some training for a football match coming up, um, if we are really just pushing it to the limit and we do not have enough oxygen. What will happen in aerobic respiration in our muscles? Glucose, just glucose, because that's all we have got going for us, can get converted into lactic acid. Now, that lactic acid is able to enter a stage of respiration so that some very, very small amount of energy is released. Now, if you really like this part, um, you guys can go into a lot more detail about respiration. It's part of the A-level curriculum. So there is a lot more actually involved with this. Um, and it is quite interesting, actually, because the stages are really, really detailed. And there's a lot more that actually goes on. But in terms of what you guys really need to know is that anaerobic respiration happens when there's not enough oxygen and it's what happens is glucose in your cells gets converted into lactic acid. There's not a lot of energy released, but there's a small amount so you can keep going. And what happens is that lactic acid can cause your muscles to cramp it can cause muscle fatigue and it actually because it's acid it actually changes the ph of your blood which can start having a really really negative effect on your body and if it's not dealt with quickly it can cause a lot of problems so it's not something that you want your body to be going through for a long period of time so what will happen is if you've ever gone for a sprint, um, at the end of that sprint, usually you're gasping for breath and you're trying to get that oxygen inside your body. And what will happen is that oxygen can actually get used to break down the lactic acid. So once your body is replenished with the oxygen it was needing, it will break down the lactic acid. Sometimes your muscles can stay sore for a day or two after, depending on the level of activity that you were doing. But it usually is a reversible reaction where you can get rid of the lactic acid and it's not there forever. Now, we've looked at aerobic respiration, we've looked at anaerobic respiration, and I'm always talking about animals and talking about muscles. Um, a lot of times we look at athletes when we're talking about this, but they might also 
ask you about plant and yeast cells because plants will do respiration and yeast cells also will do respiration as well. So there's anaerobic respiration in plants and yeast cells. And the equation for that, which you need to know, is glucose. And the glucose will actually get broken down. What it gets broken down to is ethanol and carbon dioxide. So a lot of times we think of yeast cells with bread, pizza dough. Um, we can think of yeast cells with beer. Um, and when we think of ethanol, it's those alcohols that are being made. So a lot of times they might actually throw a question that looks like it's cooking related your way. Um, and you need to not get tricked with this. Okay. Plant and yeast cells respire anaerobically. If there's not enough oxygen, the glucose will get broken down into ethanol and carbon dioxide. The carbon dioxide forms bubbles. So that's why bread rises. Okay. That's often a question that really throws students off. So you need to be aware of that. And anaerobic respiration in yeast cells, it's called fermentation. Okay. And the reason it's called fermentation is because it's really important in terms of the manufacture of bread and alcoholic drinks. So that's aerobic respiration in animals. And we've also looked at anaerobic respiration in animals and plants. Now, the very last thing that we need to take a look at is the response to exercise and metabolism. Because when we are talking about respiration, we are talking about the mitochondria releasing energy. A lot of times we are talking about the mitochondria releasing energy for movement. So how does our body respond when we are exercising? Think about it. If you are exercising, what are some of the things that your body does two minutes after you start running, four minutes after you start running? What is actually happening? You guys have all done a PE class. What happens? So hopefully you've actually thought about it because you guys are all brilliant, wonderful people. And hopefully you have some ideas in your brain. So as you increase the level of exercise, the human body will have to increase because it's got a higher demand for energy. If you are exercising at a heavier rate, faster rate, you need more energy being released to move. You need more energy. So what happens is your heart rate and your breathing rate and your breathing volume increases. So you will breathe faster and you will breathe in bigger amounts of air. Okay, you're going to breathe in more volume, more of that air because you need more of that oxygen. You breathe in more air, you breathe in more air faster so that you are getting the oxygen to your lungs. You are getting more oxygen to your lungs and then you, your heart 
is increasing the rate that it beats. It's increasing the rate that it beats because it needs to get more oxygen to your muscles. It needs to get more oxygen to your muscles, which are respiring. And it also needs to get more oxygen to your muscle cells to do aerobic respiration. So what will happen is your body will respond. If you start, if you go outside right now and you just start sprinting around your local park, your breathing rate will increase. Your breathing volume will increase. Your heart rate will increase. And usually they'll ask you questions that seem like they're a lot of marks. Because usually they're three or four marks. And it's because you need to link the fact that you're breathing more oxygen emphasis on the word more, you're breathing in more oxygen, your heart is pumping faster to get more oxygen to your muscle cells. There's going to be more oxygen so that your muscle cells can do more respiration. There's going to be more respiration so more energy can be released so that your muscles can contract more and move more. I think I used the word more about seven times in that explanation. It's a comparison. When I'm just sitting here talking to you guys, doing this podcast right now, my cells are respiring. I'm breathing in oxygen at a pretty, pretty calm rate, but I'm still, I'm breathing in oxygen. My heart is still beating. It is still pumping oxygenated blood to every one of my cells right now because my cells need to respire to release energy so that I can survive. So the word more is essential in you getting full marks because normally your body respires. But when you exercise, your body needs more oxygen. Okay, so hopefully that was really, really clear. And hopefully you'll all remember to use the word more when you were talking about the response to exercise. Now we've talked about it in, if we have enough oxygen. Now if we don't have enough oxygen, anaerobic respiration takes place in the muscles. So this is incomplete oxidation of glucose. We have a buildup of lactic acid and this creates oxygen debt. Okay, It means that we are owing our body oxygen because we've deprived it. That's why the lactic acid is building up because the glucose is only able to break down into lactic acid and that lactic acid is stored in our muscles and that's why we've got muscle fatigue. That's why we've got cramping. That's why our muscles are no longer able to contract efficiently and effectively. And if this happens for a long period of time, our muscle cells will really not work properly. And also just kind of knowing in terms of the oxygen debt it's the amount of extra oxygen the body needs after exercise to react with the lactic acid that has been built up and to remove that lactic acid in the cells so lactic acid can actually get converted back into glucose in the liver And that's what happens 
after. So after, when you have enough oxygen, that oxygen is able to combine with the lactic acid in the liver and it's able to get converted back into glucose. And oxygen debt is the amount of extra oxygen needed after exercise to break down the lactic acid and get rid of it. And the very last thing that we are going to talk about is metabolism. It's a really, really small section, but it's also quite important for you to know as well. So you have to be able to explain the importance of sugars, the importance of amino acids, the importance of fatty acids and glycerol in terms of the breakdown of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And we've looked at that with digestion. Now, metabolism, what the definition of metabolism is, is metabolism is the sum of all the reactions in a cell, or it's the sum of all the reactions in the body. So energy is transferred, it's constantly getting transferred, and it's transferred by respiration in the cells, and it's used as well. So that energy is then being used by all of our cells in enzyme-controlled chemical reactions to make new molecules. So basically, to sum things up in really plain, simple terms, we eat the food to break those macronutrients down, to break them down, to break the carbohydrates down into the sugar, to break the proteins down to the amino acids, to break the lipids down to the fatty acids and glycerol. And now that you've got all those smaller broken down molecules, you're able to use them and synthesize them and they're able to go through chemical reactions inside your body. And those sugars are able to go through cellular respiration where energy is released. That energy is then able to be used in, for example, the amino acids going to the ribosomes to make more proteins. I mean, really, it's a continual process of we are getting large molecules to break them down to then use the smaller molecules in chemical reactions in our bodies. And metabolism, it's the sum of all of those reactions. It's all of those reactions that are happening. And they're happening right now. And some of the really important um, metabolic reactions, they are taking um, and converting glucose to starch. They could be taking glucose and converting it to glycogen and cellulose. They could be the formation of fat molecules from molecules of glycerol and fatty acids. So after we've broken down the fat, the lipids, into glycerol and fatty acids, we then use the glycerol and fatty acids to make more fat molecules. Okay, remember though, we have to break them down into smaller molecules so that they can get into cells. We couldn't take huge fat molecules and force it through a cell membrane. 
So digestion is important, but a lot of times people say and think, well, why are we taking all these macronutrients and breaking them down to just build them back up? And it's because they need to be small enough to move into and out of cells. So metabolism includes, okay, just to recap, it includes the conversion of glucose into starch, into glycogen, into cellulose. It also includes the formation of lipid molecules to form molecules of, sorry, from molecules of glycerol and fatty acids. It also involves the use of glucose and nitrate ions to form amino acids, which then those amino acids can then get synthesized into proteins. Metabolism also includes respiration. And it also includes the breakdown of excess proteins. So if we have a protein-rich diet and there's too much proteins, it those proteins will get turned into and broken down into urea for excretion. The language through a whole process where that urea will turn into urine and the kidneys. So those are all the metabolic reactions that can happen in a plant, that can happen in an animal. And metabolism includes the sum of all those reactions. So you just need to be able to kind of think about photosynthesis and respiration kind of and how they interact with each other how the rates are affected what is the response to exercise and what is metabolism what are the different metabolic reactions and how how do those kind of all link together okay because when we're thinking about your biology paper one we've talked about the ribosomes we've talked about the mitochondria we've talked about cell membrane we've talked about the movement and transfer so diffusion and active transport of different molecules and then when we're thinking about those molecules you need to be able to link them to okay what are those molecules is it oxygen is it glucose is it carbon dioxide amino acids fatty acids glycerol and then start thinking about, okay, well, we've talked about digestion. So how do we break down our macronutrients using enzymes um, and other chemicals like bile into our useful smaller molecules that are small enough to actually diffuse or move in via active transport into cells and move around our bloodstream? And then start thinking about, well, if all of those things are moving around our body, how are they moving there? They're moving there through the bloodstream. Okay, and then linking that to exercise. If I'm exercising, I need more oxygen. So my heart and my lungs are connected to that whole system, the cardiovascular respiratory system. So there's a lot of links with your biology paper one. And a lot of times what I ask students to do is if you can actually get a large sheet of A3 paper and 
you can honestly start with talking about organelles and trying to link it to every other topic from your biology paper one, then you've got a really, really good solid foundation. So that is everything for biology paper one. So just a reminder in terms of everything that you've covered for biology paper one, you've started with cell biology, the difference between eukaryotic and prokaryotic cells. We've then talked about the eight organelles that belong to an animal and a plant cells and specifically there are three additional ones with plant cells your chloroplast your vacuole your cell wall then we took a look at uh, cell differentiation and cell division mitosis the cell cycle and stem cells and then the next thing that we really looked at and we spent a lot of time looking at because it's something that comes up quite frequently are your three different types of movements and transports in cells so we've got diffusion osmosis active transport and then the second part of your biology paper one is all about organization and the main things that are covered in the organization section was digestion and then the heart and the blood vessels, coronary heart disease, and also we looked at plant tissues and their organs and their organ systems and those different layers in the leaf. And then the third part um, that we most recently just looked at was the different diseases. So the viral diseases, which included measles, HIV, tobacco mosaic virus, the bacterial diseases, which included salmonella, gonorrhea. Then we looked at fungal diseases and protist diseases. And the fungal disease was rose black spot. And the protist disease was malaria. And then we looked at how our body defends us against um, different pathogens and the development of vaccines. What are they? The difference between antibiotics and painkillers. And we finished on the development of drugs. We talked about a few really important ones that stemmed from um, that stemmed from the discovery in terms of plants and things like that. And the heart drug digitalis came from foxgloves and aspirin that you might take if you've got a headache comes from willow bark originally. And then we also talked about penicillin, which was discovered in a mold from Alexander Fleming. So there's lots of different aspects of your biology paper one, but honestly, a lot of times you can find a way to link them all together. And lastly, what we finished up on today was your fourth part, which is bioenergetics, which is photosynthesis and cellular respiration. So that is it from me and I hope you guys have an absolutely wonderful day. Get out there, get intentional and do some revising. <laughs>